Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys for our final episode of The Lord of the Rings. I'm Tom Bryfogel, joined with Andy Schmidt and Skid Marr. How about you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, hey guys, I'm Andy Schmidt and not Skid Marr. Hi, I'm Skid Marr and I Ashnaz Darbatuluk, Ashnaz Gimbatul, Ashnaz Krakatuluk, Akburzum Ishikripatul. So happy to be here. What did you just say? <laughs> that was the inscription written on the One Ring in Black Speech. Uh, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. Franchise fan guys. So much like other franchises we've covered in the final episode, we'll talk about if we were in charge of the brand as a whole, what we would do. Would it be a movie? Would it be a reboot? Would it be a TV show? What are your guys' thoughts, Andy? I want to hear you go first, Tom, because you were the one that came into this. You haven't read the books. You've seen the movies. I kind of want to hear, like, if if you're an exec and they come to you and they're like, Tom, we need you to make a, we need you to make the sequel to Lord of the Rings. Like, what is it that you found in, in watching these movies that really interests you as someone really new to them? That I think I agree. Fascinating I'll, to know, Tom always ends up with the best ideas for this so yeah let's start off strong (laughs) yeah well for this one i would absolutely have it be a tv show maybe 10 episodes per movie so fellowship of the ring would be 10 do you think it would still be good in 10 hours or do you think that'd be too much fellowship oh no yeah absolutely yeah i mean you could it could work yeah yeah yeah, I would think 10 episodes, 10 hours per movie, and then after the three movies. I talked about it a little bit in the last episode. I don't know who could be hired that everyone would be happy, but if they continued Frodo's story, like that could ruin the, the whole franchise, or it could be great if it was done really, really well. I don't know who should do that. But also, here's the something. It could probably contradict the book. I wish I liked Gollum a little more. I wish his uh, split personalities, I wish I really felt for, like, like, oh, I love him. No, I wish I fell in love with him more instead of just like hated him the whole time. Because like when he dies, I, I don't feel sad at all. I'm like, yeah, no, that guy sucks. <laughs> I, wish, I, I wish I was more torn. And yeah, I don't have as of a descriptive answer as I normally do. Cause I, I feel it cause it's based off of source material that everyone loves, but I, yeah, that's what I feel. like. I feel like it should be extended more, but then chopped up more because yeah, four hour movie is a lot to ask of people, but I just yeah. finished Sopranos and that was like, I don't even know hundreds of hours. I think I said this in our Hobbit episode, but I watched the extended version of the Hobbit again, really just to piss skit off. And, uh, <laughs> what I found is that, is that the extended versions of the Hobbit had these almost natural breaks at almost exactly an hour each time. Like you could easily break that into nine, one hour episodes. And I think it, and, and when I, when I was watching them and I realized that like, it just mentally, like I was, I switched gears to like, oh, this is like a TV show. It's like a season of a television show. And I, and I managed to sort of, I accepted some of the stuff that, that was a little bit longer. And like, it, it just, it was a really interesting thing. The way it just sort of changed my mindset. But I, I agree that an, a more episodic approach would allow you to, to put more in it. It could piss people off, but it'd be interesting. I don't know if it'd be good, but it, it could be interesting. If, let's say, four episodes in, 
there's like a flashback that ends up being four episodes. It's like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings combined, where it's more of Bilbo Baggins. His backstory is just part of this as flashbacks, long episodic, like long flashbacks. So then when you come back and see Frodo, you're like, oh, awesome. It's been four hours since I've seen him. Yeah, one of the things the Watchmen television show did really well is it would spend an, an entire episode, like, basically on a character. I forget which episode it is. Yeah. I think it's, like, the sixth episode where uh, the main character takes, like, the memory drugs. And, like, this mm-hmm. whole episode is, like, the history of this one character. And it's mm-hmm. super compelling the way they do it. Um, but it's but it's also it's stuff that you, like, need to really get invested in some of the things going on. And I feel like... Lord of the Rings could do that. Like you could, you could for an episode, you could go just tell that story over there as long as there's connective tissue. Right. And I think it, I think that kind of thing works and it helps sort of build out those, the world more. Yeah. Speaking of Watchmen, the TV show is so far from the source material. Would either of you be into that sort of thing for Lord of the Rings? Like just a world like inspired by Lord of the Rings is essentially what I think Watchmen, the TV show is. It's a, a sequel inspired by the graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I, yeah, yeah. I think there's absolutely room for more stories in Middle Earth. There's there's tons of playgrounds to mess around in. Uh, there's three three ages. There's uh, yeah. There's there's so much there. There's there's so much to draw from. Uh, there's no end to the possibilities of it. Yeah, I, I, I could I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, when I was brainstorming on this, I was thinking in terms of like. Like the studio, the studio comes to me and says, you have to make a trilogy follow up to Return of the King. So I was thinking in terms of, okay, if we're going to do a trilogy after Return of the King, how does that work? And so that was sort of the mindset I went in to how I would answer this, this question. But yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think you would have the very natural complaints, like right off the bat, Tolkien didn't intend for there to be more like, why is this? But I also think there's room within the mythology and within that world to to tell stories. Like we we very readily accept the idea of sort of like shared universes nowadays, right? Like you know, as as a writer who's worked at you know written for Marvel and DC, like yeah, when I write a comic that for the, for those publishers, then yeah, it's going into the shared universe. I didn't create the rest of the universe, but I can use some characters that I had nothing to do with creating. And I'm telling stories about characters I didn't, I didn't create. Right. And that's fine because we have the context for it. And, you know, there would be the, the purists who would be like, no, this shouldn't exist. But ultimately, and I think Watchmen is a good example of this. If it comes out and it's really strong content, people will dig it. Totally. Yeah, let's just have Alan Moore write the uh, TV show for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, I, I couldn't say no, I guess, but whew. I'm just, I'm just a, little, a little petrified of what might result. But Well, let me yeah. ask you this. So you say, like, starting just creating new stories like in this world but as we mentioned i mean there is there's still there's tons and tons and tons of stories that tolkien wrote or at least outlined uh that do happen in the world that are amazing so i think that that 
Uh, I mean, would you be more interested to see something like that or just something brand new like Watchmen? Like, what, what, would, what would you find more interesting? I guess I don't know those stories, so they would be brand new to me. I think they'd be brand new to most people. So I feel like if, the, if you're saying they're really good and they were written or developed by the person who created all of this, I feel like that's the way to go. Yeah, and I think that's the way that if the Amazon series, if it ever gets made... <laughs> Yeah, ever extra hundreds of millions of dollars they pour into it and produce nothing. I don't know. But, I mean, that is their plan, as I understand it, is to tell, basically, to tell a story set in the second age of Middle Earth, the age before we see the end of the, we see the end of the third age in Lord of the Rings. So this would be a story set in the second age, which we do see a little bit of in the prologue of Fellowship of the Ring. We see the ver- we see the end of the second age at that point where uh, Isildur cuts the ring from Sauron's hand, that battle. Like, that's the culmination of the second age. So, I mean, there there is some really interesting, cool story there with the Numenorians and their kind of aloof attitude towards the rest of the world and you know the rewards that they were given for their part in defeating the tr- the first dark lord morgoth they well uh, you don't know it at all so i'll explain so the the Edain, uh basically the people that aragorn is the heir of that the, the the gondorians were they were they stayed true um to the forces of good in the first age and they helped defeat Morgoth, Sauron's boss, in, at the end of the first age. And so the, the, the Valar, as a reward, lifted an island out of the middle of the ocean for them to live on, gifted them with long life, and let them say, like, you know, this is, your, this is your reward, like, do what you want. And, you know, you, you, at Tom, you could probably predict what happened to those people <laughs> after a while, <laughs> after giving these great gifts and long life, you know. You could probably guess what happened. So this, this what they, what they, what this, this would be a story set in those times, what they're intending right now, which I think is potentially incredible. My worry is that they try to hew too close to the Game of Thrones model, which tonally might not really sit well with the universe. But, uh, but I think, but it could work. So anyway, I, that that's what they're planning right now, and I think it potentially could be could be awesome. But I, I don't know. Is there a lead character in that story, or is are there are they going to just have to pick a lead character? Are there tons of lead characters? Well, yeah, there would be ton, depending on when they said it. And I know that they've actually announced some of this. I I don't have the uh, I can look it up while you guys are talking. But there we're talking about like multiple generations of kings and and people that you could fit in so my guess would be that they would set it towards the end of the second age with uh the arfarazan uh the mightiest king in uh, numenor uh they because god it's just so cool like because sauron is running around sauron has the ring at this point and he's running around middle earth just kind of wreaking havoc and the Numenorians are sitting on their islands they have colonies like in some of the you know on the coastal cities and stuff and but they don't really they don't get too involved they don't they, there's, there's a sort of aloof about it 
But our Farazan comes along and he's like, I'm going to conquer Sauron. So he amasses the, the mightiest army the world has ever seen. And he sails it to Middle-earth. And the minute they make landfall, Sauron, with the ring, with all of his armies intact, is just like, I give up. <laughs> like, this is how incredible this army is. And it's also like Sauron's plan. It was just like he wants to insinuate himself like into the Numenorean courts and like kind of twist things in his own. It's, it's amazing. Um, but that would be my guess as to the main focus of the story. They could have flashbacks and, and stuff um, and offshoots. But yeah, there's tons and tons of, of potential there for different stories. It could be cool if they, um, they'd have to make a story that doesn't exist if they, if they didn't use any of that source material you talked about. And they filmed it, let's say, in 20 years. So Elijah Wood's like pushing 60. I would love to see that. They made a Frodo story where he's 60. Uh, yeah, that's true. Although it's, it's interesting, too, because Frodo was actually 50 in the book. Uh, okay, well, like, well, then he looks like human 60. Right, right. No, no, it's... it's yeah, but the, the, He'd be 11 Right, right. Like Bilbo. <laughs> <laughs> 111 first birthday. The problem is with Frodo is there really isn't much story to tell of his after the war. Because... So it, go ahead. Yeah, no, well, they, they kind of get into it. He's just like, he's really... Uh, this is what... It's so... It's so tragic and beautiful the way that Tolkien incorporated his own experience, like coming back from World War One, into what what happens to Frodo. He's just like he's just, he can't go home again. He's so kind of racked with this emotional and physical pain from the scars that he incurred carrying the ring, being stung by Shelob, stabbed by the Witch King all these injuries like he can't find joy anymore and so his only recourse is his reward is to take the straight path from the gray havens as we see at the end of the movie and go to the lands of the undying lands where he can finally find peace that's his story i don't no, there's other hop like you could tell a Pippin story, like Pippin becomes like the, the new Thane of the Shire. Uh Sam becomes mayor of Mayor of Michael Delving or Hobbiton. He become, becomes this like he's a hugely like influential figure. He has like forty kids, which I think is fun too. It's just kind of, it's I know it's not this, but it's like Tolkien kind of deflecting any uh kind of people saying like oh frodo and sam are gay it's just like no no no. sam's definitely not gay he has 40 kids after frodo leaves like it um, <laughs> were people saying that back then with the books no no I, it's more no no okay. no but it's like I, I not that i know of but it's definitely something that people you know said when i was a kid it was just like and and more like when the movies came out it's just oh they're so gay it's just like well okay maybe if they are who cares but that's uh, not really what he intended but but, there, but there's other stories there to, to uh, there's tons of other stories, but with Frodo, I just don't know. There's no like, there's no like Dark Knight Returns of Frodo uh, <laughs> without making some drastic changes to the, to the, to the source material. Yeah, where he goes to find peace. Uh, 
nuclear bombs get dropped on it. I really want to see uh, Eliza Wood as Frodo playing Batman now. With with that voice. The people of Shire are ready to believe in good. Okay, I take it back. This is the the first new spinoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Quickly, one thing that I have always wanted. I love the Peter Jackson versions of these stories i think i've said i think it's a miracle that we got them at all and it's a compounded miracle by the fact that they're as good as they are and as true to the source material as they are all of that but what i really want more than anything is to see new takes on the source material different people's perspectives on it when guillermo del toro was initially signed to do the hobbit movies that was super exciting for me because it was just like I want to see someone else's take on this. I don't want any one version to become visually, you know, set in the the the, the minds of the the viewing public as the definitive version of the Lord of the Rings. I think there there's room for all kinds of different perspectives on it. That's really what I want to see more than anything. So anything that will make that happen, I'm I would be happy with. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I feel that way. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, growing up being as big of a comic book fan as I was, like, one of the things that always excited me when there was, like, a new artist that was going to come on to Spider-Man or whatever was, I was always like, oh, I want to see what so-and-so's take on Spider-Man is. Like, how Mm. is that going to be different? So, like, I come to these things with that perspective kind of in hand, whereas I've come to realize that a lot of fans want sameness. They want the same thing, only more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you that 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 as somebody that 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 does work on franchises, like one of the things that I think, uh, you know, as producers of content, like we need to be aware of is the decisions that we make have consequences. So right now, because The Hobbit was directed by Peter Jackson, these are Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings and Hobbit take, and there and that is a world that exists. And so to break from that, you know, visually, stylistically, musically, any of those sort of things is going to be very jarring for the audience of those films, depending on how you do it and how, and how different it is. But, but, you know, that's a thing. Like I, you know, I was working at Hasbro and the conversation came up of, is there a point where we should move away from Peter Cullen voicing Optimus Prime? Hmm. Like, should we, should we do that? You know, or Frank Welker doing Megatron. Like they've 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 been those characters since 1984. Um, and you know that was a conversation. I was like, well, what if you know Peter Cullen had retired at one point? He came out of retirement, but like he'll retire again. And then what do we do? Do we just have this jarring switch because it happens to be that time that Peter Cullen retires, or do we like have like a handoff? Like, how do you, how do we pass that torch? Like, you know, do you rip the bandaid off? <laughs> do we <it> real fast? <laughs> you know, I mean, in that case, you know, Hasbro had a good relationship with, with, with Colin. And so I'm sure they were having those conversations with him. It wasn't like behind closed doors where like, you know, they're talking about like just, ousting him without, you know, talking with him. But, you know, those are, those are interesting conversations. Like when someone or some aspect becomes so ingrained with a franchise, like then it winds up being something that you have to have a plan for, Um, you know? And so, 
you know, for me, like I went into this, I went into this question with like, like thinking like, okay, my job today is to plan the next, the sequel trilogy to Lord of the Rings. That was sort of what, like I, I approached this question as, as that, that there were going to be three more movies and they were going to, they were going to, they were going to pick up after Return of the King at some point after Return of the King. And to do that, you know, I kind of, and I, I haven't, I, I spent not a ton of time on this, but just my initial notes on that were, you know, what are things, how can you make a sequel trilogy that still feels true to, you know, both Lord of the Rings and, and the Hobbit <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> um, and, and like, doesn't mess with it too much. Like that, 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 that follows sort of a natural arc, but can still have a lot of twists and turns and surprises, but also bring something new to it. And so, um, or, or you, and uses that world. And so what I thought of was, well, there were 20 rings, one of which is destroyed. The most powerful one is destroyed at the end of return of the King. And, what I, I was not watching the movies thinking, like trying to keep track of what they say or where we see the the other 19 rings. And I know that through some of the lore, like the seven dwarf rings, at least four of them, I think, in the in the lore, I don't think this is ever said in any version of the films, were destroyed by dragons. Right. So they're mm-hmm. like some of what happened to these rings has been answered. But that was kind of one of the things where I was like, well, you know, you don't want to just create you. I don't want to do what the force awakens does, which is just go, okay, well, we're just going to have diet empire and diet Darth Vader. And we're just going to, you know, we're just going to make a lesser version of the original. Like I wouldn't want to do that. So, but, so, but, but, you know, it's Lord of the Rings. That's still going to be in the title. There should be some rings. Um, one of the other things is I'd want to have more connections to the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Like one of the things that was interesting doing this was how much, like how much of the locations and things and lore that's established in the Hobbit really doesn't come back into play a whole lot in Lord of the Rings. Like you don't go visit the lonely mountain and stuff like that. So now that you've, you've got this expanded universe in a, in a trilogy going forward, I would probably sort of mix that up a little bit more. So I'd be, I'd want to use more of the locations and more of the histories that inter intertwine. Um, I definitely want to hold on to the theme of the power corrupts um, because that seems to be very prevalent in in all of those books and movies. And I would use a combination and they do this already in both of those films of flashbacks and flash forwards. So which would allow you to get into maybe some of those stories that you were talking about skid. Um, or it would get you into, you know, the Lonely Mountain in a new way, or, you know, you could still use Smog or other dragons. Um, but the actual, so those were just sort of like touch points of like things that I would want to see this story tell. But then conceptually, what I, what I thought would be interesting was, you know, at the conclusion of Return of the King, like everybody in Middle Earth is like, rings of power are bad. Right. You know, the way that at the end of World War Two, everybody was like Nazis are bad. And that stayed true for quite a long time. That was the general feeling. And then as time moves on, you are seeing more and more Nazi sympathizers come out and more people kind of be more okay ish with that and 
and it's a very it's a very strange thing to be witnessing right now but sort of the idea that there would then be people and and by people I would include elves and and hobbits and dwarves and whomever in this that would want to seek out the other 19 rings and make sure that they're destroyed like there would be this this visceral reaction to rings are bad let's go make sure they're all destroyed but the story that I think would make sense would be to leap forward several decades probably and then tell that story of there are also now people that are like rings of power aren't that bad like power's cool and so you'd have this sort of competition to find the 19 rings and use them to corrupt and ultimately you'd wind up telling the story of sort of the decline of the elves and dwarves and into like the world of, of man, you know, that would be sort of an arc over the course of the trilogy. But I thought that would be kind of interesting to have sort of this, you know, they're seeking, they're seeking all these different rings and each ring has its own story and all that sort of stuff. And they wouldn't find 19 rings because several of them are destroyed or have lost their power or whatnot. But I think that would be, there's a lot you could do with that that plays into power corrupting and autocracies and all kinds of stuff like that, which never seems to not be relevant. Um, but that was sort of the take that I had on this that I thought could be really engaging and interesting. But if, but only if we're going wholly like wholly new, I mean, you still use a lot of the lore in a story like that, but that is a new story. That's not one that Tolkien ever talked about. And that was kind of my, my take on it. And, and like Hobbit to Lord of the Rings, you'd have some connective characters. Like maybe one of the main characters is one of Sam's kids. He has 40 of them. He can spare one for this. Right. Um, <laughs> the Eleanor. Yeah. <laughs> right. The way that, you know, Gimli's father is in The Hobbit. And then, and yeah, actually Gimli even makes a, a brief little appearance, I think. Uh, or there's a picture of him. Like, that's my wee lad Gimli. Actually, um, I think Gimli, uh, he, well, yeah, Gimli's in The Hobbit. And, um, uh, or, uh, but Glowin is also in, he's at the council. Of in, in in Fellowship of the Ring, is that Elrond's oh, council right. too? So yeah, yeah. One of the things that I that that after the Hobbit movies came out, and then I rewatched Lord of the Rings, is I had forgotten that in Helm uh, or not Helm's Deep, that in um, Moria, that that was Balin's tomb that they yeah. see, yeah. and uh, and one of the characters that I really like in the Hobbit is Balin, and so going back to Lord of the Rings after those Hobbit movies and then realizing, Oh, that's Balin. And that was a character that I really was very fond of. Like that moment carried a lot more weight for me then, which I thought was interesting. And so yeah. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see more touch points like that. Again, it makes the world feel more real and intricate, but there's also a, there's a breaking point. If every character that shows up has some connection to the blah, 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 then, then it begins to be, problematic it's, it, it actually winds up shrinking your world instead of mm -hmm. expanding it you always have to have room for new things and new characters yeah that's a wonderful thing that tolkien does with the text is he keeps that connective tissue like that experience is the same reading the book reading the hobbit and then jumping into lord of the rings and like seeing balin's tomb there it's the same experience it's just like i love this character in the book he was the kindest of the dwarves like all this stuff and um, but yeah, but he never, he never does the George Lucas prequel thing where he shrinks the world. Like it, it's still, it, he manages to keep those connections while growing the world bigger and bigger, which is uh, no mean feat. So I love that idea. 
Andy. That's that's really cool. Unfortunately, you could only do it with making some major changes to the lore because the rings, uh, well, three of them leave because the the elven ring bearers all carry them right. off to the Undying Lands. Nine are with the Nazgul, and then, yeah, you have, I think, three or four that are unaccounted for with the dwarves. But according to the lore, they're all reliant on the One Ring to have any power at all. So the minute that the One Ring is destroyed, they're inert. So that is a cool story. You'd have to make that change. Nerds would have a problem with it. But I, I do love that theme of, like, this people forgetting, like, the evil that was wrought and coming, coming trying to recover it uh, and use it for their own ends. That's, that's, that's cool. That's yeah, really cool. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's interesting, too, because I do think that there might even be a way to, to keep that piece of the lore, like, that, that their power comes from their the symbol now like they like not everyone would know that they are powerless right so if you seek them out thinking oh there might be more power in them there might be residual power and there may not be but then the status symbol you know not unlike the arkenstone right the arkenstone doesn't have any actual power but the bearer of the arkenstone seemingly was supposed to be the leader of the of the dwarves in the lonely mountain yeah, yeah, that's why the symbolic so power that the they sim- represent. So you, would, could, yeah. you could do that without without breaking the lore. Also, I mean, and I just read a little bit of this, like like online on a message board where they were sort of discussing what happened to them. There seems to be some, from what little I read, right? There seems to be some, like, did the not not nine Nazgul actually have the rings, or did Sauron take them all for himself? And like, what does that actually mean? So there seems to be some gray area in where they all kind of wound up some are known some are not um you know it's interesting too because this is another place where as somebody if you were to try and make a sequel you have to make a really like you have to make a really important decision which is are you following continuity that is established exactly in the films or are you following continuity of the books and the Semerillion and all that sort of stuff there are some differences right like one of the big ones in lord of the rings is when the elves show up at helm's deep when that Mm -hmm didn't happen in the books but um you know if you only go by what's in the movies if they don't talk about the rings being destroyed or being powerless and i don't remember if they do then then that opens up a door for you but you're making a very big decision there right of like we now have our own this is a different continuity like that's not beholden to the books in the way that i think peter jackson originally wanted to to be beholden to the books. And so that, I think that would be a departure. I think what I would try and do is find that wiggle room in the overall lore and the Tolkien and the, in the Tolkien works and notes and all that sort of stuff and see if there's enough wiggle room to do something with it, uh, that way. Cause yeah. whenever you start alienating, alienating your core fan base, or, or, or even, I don't know that that would necessarily alienate a huge portion of them, but it would start to fray that fan base, right? You now have the fans that are like, no, it's cool. They're just doing their own movie thing. And then you have the members of that fan base that are like, you know, the more purist. And if you can find a way to, a, not even appease, but to unite them behind this, like, hey, this works for every, for all of you, as much as a new story that Tolkien didn't write could, then I think that's, likely a better long-term strategy 
yeah, I mean, that's part of the miracle of what Peter Jackson was able to achieve in Lord of the Rings films is he was able to unite like hardcore fans and casual fans over something that people nitpick over relentlessly. I, I do too. Like, I, I don't do it as much anymore, but like, yeah, I would nitpick those movies. I love them as much as anybody, but like, I nitpick them like crazy because of the little tiny inconsistencies of the source material, or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's why I wonder if, I mean, the other thing that people have speculated is adapting the Silmarillion. And I think uh, it's, it really is a massive story or a collection of stories. It's not, it's not even one story. It's like, it's, it's tons of stories. So, I mean, there's a ton there to mine. I worry that it's such a mythic time and I think it works really well as this sort of background echo in the stories that we actually get to experience. I think if we were to see it visually, a lot of the stuff visually played out in, on screen, it might diminish its impact a little bit. What do you guys think about that? Well, are a lot of those stories um, like stuff like that that's covered in Hobbit and Lord of the Rings? Like we actually we find out a lot of it. Right, which is, I think yeah. that that would be my my issue. Would be, I already know this. Like we've already covered this, and I think it would. I think that would lessen the impact of it. Like I remember DC Comics a while back did a whole like series of comics called Before Watchmen, which I was just wholly uninterested in. They may have been great. I don't know. I didn't read them because Watchmen told the story, and all the backstory I need for Watchmen is right there like it's in the story and the fact that i don't see a lot of it i think actually works to its benefit not that it's not well worked out it's very well worked out it's intricate but the fact that i i don't have to read a, a mini series about you know this character or that character i think is i think it, it works it makes the world feel more richer whereas you start to draw that stuff out especially if it's stuff we already know I think that becomes problematic just on how your audience is going to react. Well, I, I don't, that, that to me wouldn't be the issue. I mean, I think if it was, if you're worried about seeing stuff we already knew, then they would have never adapted Lord of the Rings in the first place. I mean, what we're talking about is maybe a sentence or two alluding to something that happened like back in the first age. Like that's all we're, as far as the movies go, like that's, okay. that's all, you know, we've seen. So my, my main, but my, my worry is that this is something that plays as a, as a, uh, a foundational sort of text to everything else that we see that you more it's 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 better plays out in the imagination than it than it would be if you like made it concrete um i don't so i don't want to ruin it in that way you know right tom what do you think i'd say go for it and yeah you don't need those backstories just for like hey look there it is that part happened but yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of great backstories that I know nothing about that uh, would be really entertaining. And it could make this, it really easily could be its own universe, like where it's multiple TV shows, like what's going on right now with Star Wars, with Mandalorian and with Boba Fett and all of that. I, I'm almost, I'm kind of shocked that's not what the plan is at Amazon for this. Or maybe it is, and they're not telling us. Like, do you know what the latest thing is at Amazon? You, you said what time it is, but it what time period but is it just one series they have yeah one, it's just right now 10 episodes? i okay. think it's just the one the one series uh that they have planned 
But I mean, I, personally, I'm if that's true, I'm glad that they're not going the Disney route because I think that all I, I mean, Mandalorian's good. Uh, a lot of these shows are good, but I think like for me, each one of them. I said this is more true with the Marvel stuff, but it's like each one of them that comes out in such relatively rapid succession kind of diminishes the property a little bit. Just uh, you feel like Loki and WandaVision and all that diminishes. I think the they're MCU. very good. A lot of them are very good, but like there's just so much of it flooding the market that the property as as a whole as a concept for me starts to feel a little less special when there's just so much of it being pumped out so i would rather they not not do that with lord of the rings i would rather they keep you know uh be a little more judicious on like what they make but I, you mean you know. you'd like them to keep their their like creative integrity and hold that higher than over like profits because i don't <laughs> I, I, I don't understand somebody call me a dreamer but i'm not the only one <laughs> it seems very un-american skid <laughs> uh well, well skid i have not read any of the cimmerillion and 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 that sort of stuff which i probably folks on this show recognize already but would kind of thinking about one of the other things you said about getting different visual takes and different or, or different takes directorial takes mm-hmm. or visions on it would it work it might be really interesting to see some of those things if they work kind of as almost as independent short stories as like an anthology show where each episode like you oh is a is a is a different director like maybe one of them is animated and like you know ridley scott does one episode and I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking pie in the sky people, but, you know, I think something like that where each episode is like very, very different. Like one of the things that I thought was really cool when Blade Runner 2049 came out was they had those three shorts that came out and one of them was anime and one of them was directed by Ridley Scott's son. Or actually, I think he directed two of them. But, you know, like these different sort of takes on those sorts of things could be really cool. Almost like, you know, the Animatrix was was like that. It was whatever, eight short animated features, but they were different kinds of animation and all that kind of stuff. I think something like that, and maybe they should all be live action or whatever, but you know, where you just have these very different visual takes and, and pacing and all that sort of stuff, I think could be really intriguing. And most likely, you know, someone like you or me probably wouldn't love all of them, but you, there, there'd be a handful in there that you're like, these were freaking awesome. Yeah. I, that's my ideal. Uh, I, I'd love exactly that. Yeah, an anthology like that, like a, yeah, I, yeah, see a bunch of different takes, and I think that might might be the best chance to kind of shake people's perception of like the Peter Jackson version of this world is the only version of it, which I think that the Amazon series is probably only going to make more concrete. I think that to be able to say that like that's that's that would be great. It's so cemented in my mind, like that. That is what Lord of the Rings looks like. It mm-hmm. would be cool. I, I would love that to see five directors, different takes. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing Fellowship of the Rings and coming out and being like that. That was Middle Earth. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I felt like it put on film what was in what was in my head. 
Like that's what that's what I thought they all kind of looked like. I mean, were were the individual designs different than it, you know than were in my head? Sure, but like basically that's what I the mental images I had of Middle Earth. And then when I went to see that movie, it was all right there. And I was like, well, that's it. They just they I mean, this was a documentary. That's what this was. <laughs> like they just went and filmed what actually happened in Middle Earth. I remember Craig, when he saw Fellowship, he was just like, I thought it was really cool how they just found Gandalf and put him in the movie instead of casting an actor. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think, but I I think part of the reason that that has that impression, though, and one of the real strengths of the movie is that it does draw so much from really original, like the... uh, uh, Alan Lee and John Howe art, some of the art that Tolkien did himself, like a lot of that is like really, the, the some of the first art that you know was ever really done for it is like uh, that really stuck in the public's mind. Like that, it was used as a, so much of the inspiration for the production design. So I think you know that's a reason why it's just like it. I for most people subconsciously it seems right for a lot of people yeah. is because of that. So so that you know you can't really take that away either so it's and a lot lot of that was the same art used for the rankin bass hobbit cartoon in the 70s right right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i'm sure that's why that was so stuck in my head because i loved that cartoon when i was me too i still i still love that cartoon so it's it's the superior version of the hobbit (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) When, when you write a comic book andy have you ever had an image in your head when you were writing it but then when you get the artwork it's much different but then in time you completely forget what was in your head and you're like, obviously this is what it was supposed to be. Oh yeah. 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 All the time. It's one of the things actually I really love about writing for comics is, you know, the, and the way, it, the way it works, if you're listening and don't really know how this works is like, you know, if I'm the writer, I write a script, which is like, you know, it's like a word document that essentially tells the artist, uh, you know, this is, this is what's going on in the story. And it's usually broken down into, you know, what we call panels, which is individual images. You might have four or five panels on a page. Right. Um, and it's got the dialogue and captions and stuff in there. So your artist can follow along with the story, but your, but your artist, it, you know, it's, it's an imprecise metaphor, but like, if you think of it in terms of like the script is a screenplay, but the artist is the director, the cinematographer and the actors. Right. Like, so the art artist really controls, you know, the bulk of the storytelling in all honesty. And, um, and so it's great. Like, you know, sometimes I have very concrete ideas of what something would look like or even what the very specific image is. And then it comes back and it's not that. And that can be jarring. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes that can be a reaction where you're like, oh, that's wrong. Like that can be your initial sort of gut reaction, but then you sit with it for two seconds and you're like, it's not wrong. It's just not what I had in my head. And nine times out of 10, I'm like, and it's pretty awesome. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Like I love, I love that aspect of comics because you get at the end of the day, you get a story that is, can only be told by the unique people telling it. Right. And that, and that if you replace or swap out any one member of that creative team, the whole story changes the way it's executed completely changes. And so you come up with these really unique things um, that I think is, I think it's great. It's one, it's one of the things I love about comics. We need to get a director, a world-class director who has never seen the Hobbit cartoon or these movies, but loves the source <laughs> material. Yes. 
Yes. Good. That should be good easy. luck. <laughs> it's like harder than finding a juror for the OJ trial. <laughs> By the way, so the new the new series, uh, uh, the latest information is that they have actually they've actually shot the whole first season apparently in New Zealand. And I thought it was pretty it is, far along. Yeah, and it is scheduled to be released in uh, September of 2022, so next year. As oh, that's not that this. far away for something that big. No, yeah, it's like, and it's, it's ten episodes. Is that right? I think it's eight. I think it's eight episodes. Okay. Uh, I think it's eight. Yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, and and they've already greenlit a second season, uh, which is awesome. One of the things that gives me pause, though, you talk about you handing it off to great directors. So the showrunner right now, I think, is uh, J. A. Bayona, um, a Spanish director. Yeah, he who did Jurassic World Two, Fallen he? Kingdom. Yeah. yeah, he did Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, so. <laughs> This is the which thing that's if, like giving me you've, pause. If you've, listen, if you've listened to our uh, episodes on Jurassic Park, you'll kind of figure out what we thought about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Uh, and yeah, he's not, he, yeah, he directed A Monster Calls, uh, which I haven't seen. I have seen that. Uh, it was, that was pretty good. Okay. The Orphanage. I did see that. Um, so... I, I, you, you, ne- you never know. Like people just need, like sometimes they need the right opportunity. But as the people that I've seen that they've kind of placed the show in the hands of, they don't. The track record isn't like, oh, this guy. Like this is a natural selection. Like the, this is someone who's perfect for this. Uh, it's all people who have just like not a ton of experience or stuff that's just I didn't like very much. So I'm a little wary about how this is going to turn out. And I'm kind of confused given that they are spending a billion dollars on this. Maybe they know something I don't. I don't know. But uh, that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm at at the moment. And, Let's hope so. You know, if it comes out being amazing and uh, Jay Bayona, I'm sure you're, you're wonderful. I'll apologize to you in person given the chance. So you won't like yell at him in a closed car as you drive by the no. Kevin Smith. No, I, I <laughs> Is that what won't, you're telling him? Uh, no, no. I, I won't treat you like I treated who is it? <laughs> Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. I won't yeah. do you like Kevin Smith. Come on, man. That's yeah. that wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> Add to Kevin Smith again, I apologize. Even though you weren't personally impacted by it. I think I, I think you should apologize to Kevin Smith. At some point in every episode going forward. <laughs> I will. <laughs> this episode contains a customary apology to get into that. Trigger warning. Franchise fan guys. <laughs>